If Reality Check Radio enriches your day and life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Ashley Fechney is an employment law advocate who champions the rights of employees in their workplace disputes. Ashley's influence surged during the COVID-19 pandemic as she provided invaluable advice through various media channels to both employees and employers on issues related to restructures, wage subsidies, and notably workplace vaccination and mask wearing. And Ashley joins us on RCR. Ashley, thanks for coming on. Kia Thank you for having me. Now, this has me thinking about my situation back then, and I'm not trying to make it about me, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm remembering. So I anticipated there could be problems with my employer at the time, and very early on, very early on, kind of got ahead of that and confronted them with it before they had even thought about how they would handle this. I found that to have been a reasonably good move because it put me in a stronger position when it came along, and I was kind of okay while watching other people I knew having big problems. So um, I don't know how many of us did that and, and got onto it early, but that seemed to make a big difference. As I say, not making about me, but but remembering back, triggered to remember back to that, that time. Yeah, certainly. Look, I think a lot of people forget um, with how long these cases take to go through the works. You know, some of these cases now, it's 2024 now, we're getting decisions from things that happened back in 2022. Uh, it's pretty easy to feel to feel triggered. Um, and in response to your question, look, I um, this wasn't often for a lot of people to front foot it. I think a lot of people were really just hoping for the best um, yeah. that their employers wouldn't go down these paths. But they did. Okay. So uh, we've had in our news last week or so, both these cases. So should we start with Knight versus Comarch? Yep. Um, so I represented Mr. Knight in this matter, and he was awarded $23,000 in compensation as a result of being terminated um, for not being vaccinated. Um, just to break down, I guess, how awards are given, we didn't seek lost wages because he was one of those fortunate employees that managed to jump straight into another job. So we were only seeking compensation for hurt and humiliation. Right. Yep. Now, what happened in his case was a bit more interesting as his employment was terminated because of a third party requirement. So what that means was that his employer actually didn't impose a policy, but what his employer said was, well, you've got to go off site into a data center um, once every two weeks. And, you know, maybe you're there for 15 minutes. Okay. Once every two weeks, you're there for 15 minutes. Okay. Let's remember that. All right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that was a real key point here is, they terminated his employment because he couldn't enter that building, which only was, you know, like 1% of his role, um, such a minute, and that was it. Uh, no other part of his role required him to to need to have a vaccine. Wow, okay. So mm-hmm. when we um, we were arguing this, that was the point. We said, well, he's got other members in his team. Why can't they have gone into the data centre for him? Um, and you just kind of restructure the or, or reshuffle those tasks for a short period of time. And the employer had this really weird response that the only way my client could have stayed employed was if he took a demotion, um, which, it, you know, one didn't connect to the other. So this was examined quite and scrutinised by the authority. And the authority essentially said, well, We know that when employees um, have been required to get vaccinated, at the heart of it, the employer must consider or must exhaust all reasonable alternatives to termination of employment. 
Now to exhaust them is a bit more than just consider, right? You really got to go through and examine yeah. each option. And the authority essentially said this was a really good option. He should have just, you know, swapped some jobs to someone. You didn't need to terminate yeah, as a woman. It doesn't sound complicated, not rocket science. You wouldn't have to sort of like shuffle exactly. the entire deck. Exactly. And in those kinds of cases are, you know, quite common um, that an employer will just say, well, you can't do part of it, so we'll terminate your employment. Well, what's the thinking behind that? Because it is illogical. It also assumes it's always worst case scenario. If, you know, you can't move, there's no room for movement. It's either, it's black or white binary, basically. If you if you can't go, spend the 15 minutes every two weeks, 1% of your job, it's all over. I mean, where does that thinking come from? I never understood it. You know, I've been working closely with these matters for about two or three years now since the inception that vaccines were being brought in our workplace. And it's been quite a common thing for employers. My understanding is the response we often get is we can't accommodate that change indefinitely. Um, and our response has always been, you know, COVID and vaccines are not indefinite in the sense that there's always going to be that indefinite risk. We always knew that the vaccine restrictions were going to come to an end. And so our arguments were always, let's just take it week by week, month by month. Yeah, you just go bit by bit. Okay, it's very entrenched, very uh, black and white thinking. And and even to make, you know, that comment like uh, uh, indefinite or or whatever, like it's going to go on forever. Hello. Think about that. All right. So was the outcome as you expected, given that it was it wasn't? You know, totally like um, uh, if you don't have your backs, you're out of here. The, you know, it was it had these other sort sort of moving parts to it, and and the, what he got twenty three k is that reasonable or? Yeah, look, I mean, I think we got what we wanted out of it. Like I said, he didn't suffer a financial loss because he did move into future employment. So that twenty three thousand dollars is simply to um, compensate himself. Now. The average compensatory sum just across the board is only $15,000. And we see that with the Basher and Big Chill case where they only got the $15,000. So we think, um, you know, my client provided some more evidence that showed significant uh, impact and that was reflected in the compensation. So overall, we were we were pretty happy with it. Yeah, also, there's the matter, and it's not covered here in, in the outcome of this case, but also the argument, and obviously not deployed as an argument again in this case, is that who's who's an employer anyway to tell you that you have to do that anyway? Well, unfortunately, that's an argument that a lot of people have brought forward, and that's the one thing the authority is just not responding to. Um, in the Basher and Big Chill case that I understand you guys have also been talking about, yep. um, one claim they brought was that this was a breach of the employment agreement. They said that bringing in a vaccination policy was in breach. The authority found that because the employment agreement gave the employer the ability to impose health and safety policies, um, that they were therefore entitled okay. to. So what oh, we're seeing is a trend. Because there's a um, there's a bill of rights, you know, and um, to overcome that, it has to be like you're almost at war. So... You know, they're coming over the beaches, you're going to be dead unless you, you know, kind of throw a few human rights laws under the bus. That wasn't yeah. happening. That's the thing that I think a lot of people have really struggled with, and particularly when seeing the cases come through, is that no case, no court in the employment jurisdiction or the authority has said that an employer can't impose a vaccine policy. The wins have always been around the process or yeah. those sort of redeployment opportunities. And there's been a lot of people that have tried at different arguments and framing it different ways, but it's just not getting across. Um, yeah. Maybe that's because it's just at a low level at the moment, um, or you know, maybe we need to wait for something in the high court to move. 
But unfortunately, well, we had the NZDF um, decision, um, appeal court decision, yes. Friday just gone, and that, again, might add to it. Tell us about the Basher and Big Chill case then. Yeah, so I understand, look, and I just had a brief reading because I didn't represent on this matter, but yep. my understanding was that Big Chill imposed this vaccination policy. Now, the authority found that they could impose a vaccination policy, but where things went wrong was how it applied to Mr. Basher. So the authority said, well, you didn't... Um, you didn't, I guess, talk to Mr. Basher about the risk analysis. You didn't engage with him. He had some concerns to say, I don't think I'm high risk. I think I'm lower. And they just didn't engage. Um, there were then also some concerns around, like, how it was going to to apply to him. So they didn't really give him enough information about how it applied it to him. They didn't give him the opportunity to respond. And then on top of all that, we come back to that reasonable alternatives um, argument where he said, well, look, let me just take a period of leave or a period of unpaid leave um, for until the, the vaccine policies drop. And so those three things combined is what really um, gave Mr. Basher that win. And he was awarded the three months lost wages because he was out of work after the termination of his employment and $15,000 in compensation. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So it seems that uh, the uh, employers and in, in the case just before this one as well, they're kind of being punitive. It's like it's an anger response that we're going to teach you a lesson. You're not playing ball. You know, it's a punishment. Yeah, this is something that we I found a lot representing people of the time is that punitive and really um, rigid thinking. We're going to impose this policy. You're not vaccinated, and they're not terminating them because there's a an undue risk because they haven't really gone through that option. They haven't gone I was going to ask employment. you about risk assessment there um, and where it said um, in the details I've got here that um, they did not properly engage with the employee, uh, did not um, um, uh, express concerns over their of, of risk assessment, etc. Was there ever a risk assessment? I doubt that there was ever a risk assessment. I think the determination says that it was, but I'm not sure to what level it was. Obviously, I haven't seen it. Um, but the types of risk assessments that I've seen, you know, vary from a couple of questions, you know, how many people do you work with and how close are you, to this yeah. sort of 15-page document that is incredibly, um, you know, I guess just information heavy. Yeah, because a lot of the information that uh, those risk assessments would have been based on have turned out to be computer modelled and way out. And um, so um, whether you can actually call it risk assessment in real terms. Okay, so the point you made before is these these cases show a pattern of not sort of going through the motions but not also accepting that your fundamental right was being abused. So it's sort of going through the motions um, in breaching your rights. <laughs> so you <laughs> breach your rights and you don't do that right, then – then, then you've lost the case, basically, and you've got to award the comp or pay the compensation. Yeah, look, I mean, there have been now, uh, just a quick search shows me about 65 cases that have gone through the authority and about 15 that have progressed the employment court. And from my, you know, quick reading, I try to keep on top of them. Um, I haven't found a case where they've said the employer could not impose the vaccine policy. Yeah. What I have been finding is a lot of those um, procedural errors. So you've yeah, got to procedural. engage with the employee um, and then also the redeployment. Those seem to be the two uh, sticking sort of more successful arguments. I've seen cases try to run them with discrimination and they haven't been successful. You know, I've seen cases with the Bill of Rights and the authority will say, we can't deal with that. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot there, but it's just 
those are really the two main ones that I tell people, well, if you raise a personal grievance and it's applied to you, you, you may be successful. And there's a, a time limit to that too, isn't there? Um, the courts yeah. won't necessarily take on a case after a certain time. So this is what is um, catching a lot of people out and I think that a lot of people didn't realise it at the time. So if you want to raise a personal grievance, that's for any termination or any action in your employment that you think is unfair, you've only got 90 days to raise that personal grievance. So the cases that we're now seeing come through are people that did raise their personal grievance within the 90 days of the termination of employment. What that means now is the people that are maybe seeing these cases come through and think, gosh, that's really similar to my situation. Unless you raise a personal grievance at the time, um, you're now essentially barred from progressing that claim. Um, there are some arguments we could make, like if you sent a letter or an email after the termination of employment and said why you think it was unfair, we might be able to say that's a personal grievance. Um, right. But yeah. without that, you know, a lot of employees now are kind of left without that ability to to pursue compensation. Oh dear, and that's that could involve a lot of people who had a problem, but haven't. Yeah, I, I get contacted quite frequently from people that will say, "Oh, actually, I've seen your posts now, and you're talking about this case. Um, can I progress mine?" Um, and unfortunately, unless there's been that grievance, I've had a lot of people that did sort of raise one by themselves, and I'm picking them up now, so we can I can help them through those final steps. But that's kind of a. Um, a hard line. You know, I have seen people try to go to the authority to say, well, I couldn't raise my grievance in time because I didn't know my rights. You know, I was really stressful. I didn't have a job and I was losing my house and a whole range of other situations. Um, but yeah. time and time again, the authority said, well, you've got, it's got to be another level, right, for you to raise something this late. Okay. And do you think um, we'll see, you know, a more successful or a successful challenge of, of the human rights part of this, Bill of Rights, so on and so forth? Do you think... Well, first of all, that has to be what the employment court can consider, I suppose, um, is it? So in the employment jurisdiction, the Bill of Rights is seen more as something that's influential and not because it's not binding on employers, it's binding on the government and on other government agencies. And so even if an employee is employed by a government agency, the employment jurisdiction will say, well, actually, it doesn't apply to the employment side okay, of Okay, that was a very clever thing for the government to do that sort of outsourcing then. Yeah. Wasn't it? So they're still bound by the Human Rights Act, but that's not quite the same as the New Zealand Bill of Rights. You know, that right to refuse medical treatment doesn't appear in the Human Rights Act. So I don't think oh. we're going to see a lot of movement in the um, employment space unless there is something going ahead in the High Court. You know, like what we've seen with the Defence Force, but hopefully if there's more, I guess, um, persuasive statements, you know, something that's a bit more, uh, has a bit more punch in it. <laughs> Yeah, okay. And um, you mentioned, I think, in the first case, uh, Knight versus Comarch, that the um, employee involved moved on to other employment. Was Is that the usual pattern, or were there a lot of people left jobless in this situation? In, oh, my in, client was was very lucky to have moved on to future employment, and the, the ironic thing is he actually went and found employment with the people that um, he had to go to the data centre for. Oh, you know, you're so, kidding. Crikey. And there was no issue. Oh, um, because at that point, they dropped it, you know, so yeah. it was frustrating. But he was one of the lucky ones that that did manage to move on. There was a lot of people that didn't. And, of course, as, as we all know, it's because you get out of a job for not being vaccinated and then every other job listing on SEEK says you need to be vaccinated. Yeah. So and, and at that point, you place. can't challenge it, right, because you're not yeah. an employee. Yeah, tough times. Ashley Fechney, employment law advocate. Thanks for coming on RCR and, and telling us about those cases. It's really interesting.
Thank you for having me. If Reality Check Radio enriches your day in life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and the dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate.